The title of today's sermon is Do Not Be Anxious. The Old Testament reading is Isaiah 35. The New Testament reading is Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Did I say Old Testament reading or New when I said Isaiah 35? It's a strange sensation. Sometimes like I say something, I move on from it, then I think, what did I just say? Old Testament reading, Isaiah 35. New Testament reading, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Again, the title of the sermon, Do Not Be Anxious. Hear now the reading of God's most holy word. Isaiah 35, verse 1. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Already you can see that this was a prophecy concerning the work that the Messiah would do in the future from Isaiah's perspective. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Let us go now to the New Testament reading. Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Uh, This is a portion of... The Sermon on the Mount. Uh, The Lord Himself, Jesus Christ, taught His disciples, His people in this way as He spoke to them up on the mountain. Matthew 6.25 Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these." But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, 
Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This now the reading of God's most holy word. May He add His blessing to the preaching of it this morning. We live in a very anxious age, don't we? And as I say that, I do not mean to suggest that people from the past did not experience anxiety. Indeed, they did. After all, Christ addressed this subject in His Sermon on the Mount for a reason. He must have addressed this subject because it was a common problem. Indeed, the the feeling of anxiety is common to the human experience. But it does seem that Our day is particularly anxious. As a pastor, I notice this topic coming up more and more frequently. And I'm also hearing that folks are feeling anxious and they don't know why. I've heard this called free-floating anxiety. I'm not sure if you've heard that term before. But it's a feeling of anxiousness or unsettledness with no obvious cause or reason. Others are anxious and they definitely know why. There's something that is causing them concern. There is a a deadline. There is a problem, a particular worry about the future. And whether your anxiety is free-floating or attached, mild and manageable, or severe and even debilitating, I think everyone in this sanctuary, at least those who are old enough to be aware of such things, would admit to feeling anxious at some point in their lives. To be anxious is to be concerned apprehensive, or worried about something. And when we are anxious in the mind, we often feel it in the body. Sometimes it feels like there's a pit in our stomach. At other times we might feel tightness in our chest or experience shortness of breath. And sometimes our muscles simply grow tense. I think it is amazing how our immaterial souls and physical bodies interact with each other. Don't you agree, brothers and sisters? It's interesting how that works. But here is what I want to say to you this morning. We are called to be at peace, brothers and sisters. We are called to be at peace. Christ commands His disciples to be not anxious, but to trust in God for all things. We heard about that in Matthew 6.25 and following. God's Word calls us in another place to Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt us, casting all our anxieties on Him, because He cares for us. That is 1 Peter 5, 6-7. In Christ Jesus, we are to rejoice in the Lord always, and we are to let our reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. We are to not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we are to let our requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That is Philippians 4, 4-7. through 7. These passages that I've just cited provide precious remedies for anxious souls. Where are we to go to find relief from our anxiety? Well, 
in prayer. We are to run to God the Father through faith in Christ the Son and with the help of the Holy Spirit. We are to cast our anxieties upon the Lord knowing that He cares for us. The remedy for the anxious heart truly is faith in the triune God, our Creator, Sustainer, and Redeemer. If we wish to be at peace inwardly, we must first be at peace with Him. And this is possible only through faith in Jesus the Messiah. He atoned for the sins of all who believe in Him in order to reconcile us to God. He lived a righteous life so that He might give us His righteousness and make us right before God. So if you wish to be at peace inwardly, then you must be at peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the first and most important thing for us to do, to be at peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then having been reconciled to God through faith in Christ by the working of the Spirit, God's children must then learn to trust Him for all things. Faith truly is the remedy for the anxious soul. As we learn to trust the Lord more and more, knowing that He is sovereign over all and that He cares for us, then we will find ourselves at peace more and more. Well, now that the remedy for an anxious heart has been prescribed in a very straightforward way, I'd like to take some time to consider anxiety more carefully with you this morning so that we might know how to respond when it comes upon us. It will certainly come upon us, brothers and sisters. As I have said, the feeling of anxiety is something common to all of, all of God's people. It is common to all who live in this world. One question that I would like to ask is this. Is all anxiety sinful? Is all anxiety sinful? In other words, do we sin against God each and every time that we feel anxious? Don't you think that's an important question to ask? I do. I suppose that some might say, well, yes, after all, Jesus commands His disciples to be not anxious in Matthew 6.25. Therefore, each and every worrisome thought that enters our mind or anxious feeling that we feel in our bodies is a sin, for it reveals a lack of faith in God. I would beg to differ. And I would ask that you please hear me out on this. I think an important distinction needs to be made between natural or reasonable anxiety and sinful anxiety. Please hear me. I do understand that some forms of anxiety are sinful from the start. We will get to that in just a moment. And I do also understand that sometimes anxiety that is not necessarily sinful from the start may become sinful if we do not do the right thing with it, namely, cast it upon the Lord, trusting in Him, knowing that He cares for us. Nevertheless, I think it is very important and biblical to have a category in our minds for anxiety that is natural or reasonable and not necessarily sinful. We are humans, brothers and sisters. We are creatures who depend upon God, the Creator and Sustainer of all things, for our every breath. In other words, we are frail. Some people don't like to be told that. But it is true. And if you do not know that it is true, you are living a delusion. We are We are very frail. Or to use the language of Scripture, we are but a breath. You may see this phrase in Psalm 62.9 and 94.11 and in many other places. We are but a breath. We are a vapor, aren't we? We are frail. And I wonder if there is a sense in which anxiety, that is to say, 
feelings of concern or apprehension about some danger. I I wonder if there is a sense in which it is, in fact, a gift. It is an emotion that we feel that reminds us of our frailty and signals that we need to take action because of some threat, the most important action being this, to depend upon the Lord in faithful prayer. It may be helpful at this point to think of the emotion of fear instead. I think fear and anxiety share lots of things in common. Just as the scriptures say, do not be anxious, so too the scriptures say, do not fear. But I think most would agree that the command to fear not is not forbidding what we might call natural or reasonable fear. A woman who sees an ominous figure walking towards her on a dimly lit street, or a man who thinks he hears an intruder, does not sin against the Lord when they feel the emotion of fear, do they? That kind of fear, uh, the kind of fear that is natural and reasonable, is not sinful. Their heart rate elevates, the hair on the back of their neck stands up, and hopefully they are moved to take appropriate action. When fear is natural and reasonable, it is not sinful. When the Scriptures command us to fear not, they are calling us to not live in fear, to not be driven by fear, to not be debilitated by it, but to trust the Lord, especially as it pertains to His precious and very great promises. So you can see it clearly with the issue of fear, that a distinction must be made between natural and reasonable fear and sinful fear. There is a kind of fear that is simply natural. And brothers and sisters, we are to not live in fear. We're not to be debilitated by it or driven by it, but we are to trust the Lord. We are to fear not, you see. Uh, So that distinction is very important. And I want you to see that something like this is true concerning anxiety. Is it reasonable for you to feel a bit anxious Concerning the big test. Is it reasonable for you to feel a bit anxious concerning the upcoming interview? Is it reasonable for you to be concerned and even feel it in your gut when your child is ill? Or when your loved one is in some danger? I think it it is reasonable in each and every one of these instances that I've mentioned. The feeling of anxiety is a signal that there is something that requires you to take action. Sometimes there are practical things for you to do. You need to study. You need to prepare. You need to seek a remedy, etc. And certainly we must always be driven to go to God in faithful prayer. I would like to demonstrate to you from Scripture briefly that we really need this category for natural or reasonable anxiety. I could do so from a few passages, but the thing that I really want to draw your attention to is the experience of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I ask you, did He not experience great angst as He contemplated the physical sufferings that awaited Him and the wrath of God that He would endure on the following day? Did He Himself, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in His human nature, not experience great angst? So extreme was His anxiety that He Sweat drops of blood. Luke twenty two forty four says that he was in agony. The Greek word means to be in a state of great mental and emotional grief and anxiety. It is anguish that, he's experienced, that he experienced there. It is intense sorrow. And then I ask you this. Did Jesus sin when he felt this angst or anguish? Was this anxiety that he felt 
the result of a lack of faith in him? The answer is, of course not. No, instead, the Son of God experienced natural or reasonable anxiety in the garden through the human nature that he had assumed. But what did he do with it? That really is the question, isn't it? Was Jesus debilitated by this angst? Did it move him to run from what God had called him to do? Did it cause him to question or doubt God's love for him? Did he remain in this anxiety? No, instead we see in this narrative where Jesus is there suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane that he did the very thing that Peter commands us to do with our anxiety. He humbled himself under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time God would exalt him. He took all of his natural and reasonable anxieties and he cast them on the Father, knowing that the Father cared for him. You may see 1 Peter 5, 6-7. through 7. Luke 22-44 says that, and, and being in agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly. Do you hear it? So as his angst or as his agony grew more and more intense, how did Jesus reply? He prayed more and more earnestly. That is how Jesus responded to this natural or reasonable anxiety that he was experiencing. Verse 42 of of that passage in Luke 22 reveals the content of his prayer. He prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so here Christ is a wonderful example to us as to how we are to pray in moments of, of great angst. We are to bring our concerns to God. We are to cast our anxieties upon Him. We are to pray that the Lord would relieve whatever it is that is troubling us, but we are ultimately to submit our will to the will of God the Father. He brought His desires to the Father and submitted His will to the Father's will. Continuing now in verse 44, And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Notice that Jesus, in his anxiety, ran to the Father in prayer. He brought his concerns to the Father. He submitted his will to the Father. And what did he do? He rose up from prayer. And he went on. And he came to the disciples. And what were they doing? They were sleeping. The Greek word, translated as sorrow there, they were sleeping for sorrow, also means distress, mental pain, or anxiety. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I think this text here is very instructive. Christ experienced anxiety so severe that he did not only feel a pit in his stomach or tightness in his chest, he sweat drops of blood. What did he do with his anxiety? He took action. First he prayed, and then after, have, after praying, he rose up from prayer and continued on in obedience to the Father. What, on the other hand, were the disciples doing in their distress? They were sleeping. And Jesus came to them and said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I think it is very interesting how anxious feelings can sometimes paralyze us. Anxious feelings can sometimes debilitate us and keep us from doing the things that God has called us to do as His children. Jesus says, Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So why have I devoted so much time to this question, Is all anxiety sinful? 
And why have I been so concerned to distinguish between natural or reasonable anxiety and sinful anxiety? One, it is biblical. In fact, we cannot make sense of the experience of Christ in Gethsemane without this distinction. Two, I am afraid that many in our day have bought into the lie that if they ever feel anxious, something is wrong with them. And I want to say, not necessarily. And the problem might even be worse for Christians, especially if they've been told that anxiety is always sinful. If the Christian believes this, they will feel guilt regarding their anxiety, when perhaps they should not. And if this is the case, they may be ashamed to talk with others about it. And if they do talk to God about it, it may only be to confess the sin of anxiety. But the Scriptures do not call us to confess the sin of anxiety to God in every instance. No, instead the Scriptures call us to take our anxious thoughts and feelings and to do what with them? We are to cast them upon the Lord, you see. By all means, if the anxiety is sinful then confess the sin to the Lord. I am not discouraging that. But here I am wanting you to see that it may not be sinful, and we are invited, in fact, to come to the Lord. We're we're invited to take our anxieties, to bring them to the Lord in faithful prayer, and to cast them upon Him, you see. Uh, Not to confess them to Him, but to cast them upon Him. Lord, I am feeling anxious. I am feeling overwhelmed. I am frail, I am weak, I am needy. I'm humbling myself before you, you see. And here I am as your child, admitting all of this. Take these cares of mine. Lord, relieve the anxiety. Lord, your will be done. We are invited to do this very thing. And I'm afraid that Christians who have bought into the lie that all anxiety is sinful may be hindered in this process. The Scriptures call us to take our anxious thoughts and feelings and to cast them upon the Lord. In faithful prayer. Three, making room for what I have called natural or reasonable anxiety gives us a little space to do the thing we really need to do. And that is to process these emotions, to be sure that they are reasonable and within their proper bounds, and then to bring them to God through faith in Christ and to find relief and peace. In other words, understanding that every anxious thought or feeling is not necessarily sinful gives us some room to fight for peace. At the beginning of this sermon, I said we are called to be at peace, brothers and sisters. And now I am saying to you, in order to be at peace, this means we must fight for peace. An illustration came to mind. It's a bit of a silly one, but I think it's helpful. I'm sure you can think of a movie scene where someone is threatened by intruders and they immediately fall to the ground, put their hands up in the air to surrender, and then are taken into captivity for a time. I don't have any particular movie scene in mind. I just have a generic one. I don't know where I've seen this. I'm sure you have seen it. You know, The intruders bust through the door, and there is no fight, you see. There is no fight. There's just surrender. Hands are in the air. They drop to their knees, and they are taken into captivity uh, for a time. They're quickly overcome, quickly defeated, debilitated. They are like the disciples in the garden. They do not fight, but they sleep, metaphorically speaking. But in contrast to this, I'm sure you can think of a movie scene where a, and here is the silly part, kung fu master is threatened by intruders, not one or two, but a dozen or more. And of course, they do not come at him all at once. Um, That would make the scene boring, I guess, you know. But they come at him very systematically, one at a time. And what does the kung fu master do? He 
He fights with all of his might. He, he repels them one at a time. He, he casts these intruders out. He fights with all of his skill, all of his might, so that he might not be taken captive, but might be at peace. And I think this illustrates the very thing that we are to do with these anxious thoughts and these anxious feelings. We are not to surrender to them immediately. We are to fight for peace in Christ Jesus and in the way that He has prescribed. We are to bring every thought into captivity. We're to dispel those thoughts that are untrue and unreasonable. We are to cast these anxieties that we are experiencing upon the Lord so that we might be at peace. Brothers and sisters, when you feel anxious, it does not necessarily mean that something is wrong with you. What it means is you are human. What it means is you are frail, and in that moment you are particularly aware of it. It means that you are being faced with something that is bigger than you. In fact, we are always being faced with things that are bigger than us. And it is a signal to you that it is time to take action. To use the scene from the Garden of Gethsemane again, it is not time for you to sleep. It is time for you to take action. And now I ask, what action are we to take? What action are we to take? How are we to fight for peace? One, as has already been said, we are to enter into faithful prayer. And by faithful, I mean two things. One, prayer that is constant and earnest. The word faithful can be used in this way. We are to enter into constant and earnest prayer, like Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Two, we are to enter into prayer that is full of faith. Faithful in this sense, prayer that is full of faith in God and in Christ. We are to follow the example of Christ in the garden, being in an agony. He prayed more earnestly, the scriptures say. We are to do what Peter commands. He tells us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt us, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. We are to heed Paul's instructions in Philippians 4, 4 and following. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I wonder if we are not sometimes anxious because we are prayerless. Granted, this is not the only explanation for persistent anxiety, but I think I must present it to you as a possibility. I wonder if we are not sometimes plagued by persistent anxiety because we are prayerless. And so I ask you, are you faithful in prayer, brothers and sisters? And when you pray, are you praying in faith, with faith in God, faith in Christ? In Matthew 6.25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, etc. The word, therefore, at the very beginning of this verse is Important. It indicates that what Christ is saying here about anxiety is related somehow to things that He said previously in His Sermon on the Mount. 
And I think it is important to remember that one of the things Christ addressed before this in His Sermon on the Mount is the topic of prayer. Christ's disciples asked Him to teach them how to pray. And He instructed them in 6.9 of Matthew, saying, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I have said that the remedy for anxiety is faithful prayer. Perhaps it could be said more specifically that the remedy for anxiety is the prayer that Christ taught His disciples to pray, commonly called the Lord's Prayer. I think an argument can be made that the preface to the Lord's Prayer, along with each and every petition, functions as a wonderful antidote to the causes of anxiety, if we pray them with understanding and with faith in our hearts. Consider, for example, the fifth petition, which is, Give us this day our daily bread. When we pray this prayer, we pray that God, of His free gift, would give us a competent portion of the good things of this life, and the ability to enjoy His blessings with them. I want you to notice the obvious connection between this fifth petition and the words of Christ concerning anxiety. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's as if Christ is saying to us, because you have prayed the Lord's Prayer, because you have prayed to your Father in heaven and have asked Him to provide you with your daily bread, Do not be anxious, therefore, about these things. You have come to the Father. You know that He cares for you. You have asked Him to provide you with daily bread. Do not be anxious, therefore, about these things, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will put on. The remedy for anxiety is faithful prayer. Indeed, the Lord's Prayer is particularly helpful. But is this the only thing we can say to an anxious soul? Simply trust the Lord in prayer. While this is the essential thing to say, I do not believe it is the only thing that we can say. Secondly, when feeling anxious, we must also remember the goodness of God, His promises to us in the covenant of grace, and His power to accomplish all of His purposes. At this point, I I think I must remind you of the preface to the Lord's Prayer, going back to the principle of prayer again, and to the idea that the Lord's Prayer is a particularly helpful remedy to the anxious soul. Remember the preface to the Lord's Prayer. Christ taught us to approach God as our Father in heaven. In other words, our Father in heaven is to remind us, this phrase, uh, our Father in heaven is to remind us to draw near to God with holy reverence and confidence as children to a Father who is able and ready to help us. When we call God Father, it reminds us of His love and concern for us. He has set His fatherly love upon us in Christ Jesus. He invites us to draw near to Him. And His Word reassures us that He has good things for His children. He is the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He is the Father of lights, who gives us good gifts and perfect gifts to enjoy. You may see James 1.17. Uh, I alluded to that text just now. But some may be tempted to say, well, I have not received good things from God. 
My life is very difficult. Uh, perhaps you have heard people respond in this way as you try to exhort them in their angst to remember the goodness of God, to remember His covenant faithfulness, His precious and very great promises. Well, my life is, is very difficult. I have not received good things from God, they might say. And I think three things must be said in response to this. One, I do not doubt that your life is filled with many difficulties right now. But you must not allow this to lead you to question the goodness of God. God is always good, even when we experience trials and tribulations in this fallen and sin-sick world. We must never question the goodness of God. He is merciful to all, even to those who have rebelled against Him. He is always good, not only in times of of pleasant things, but also in times of great difficulty. Two, though it may be that your life is filled with many difficulties, I trust that there are many blessings present in your life too. And we must count our blessings, brothers and sisters. We must be thankful to God for them. I, I want you to remember Paul's words as he deals with this subject of anxiety. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I, I want you to notice the constant emphasis in these passages that I have read upon thankfulness. Thankfulness or gratitude is so very important, brothers and sisters. Uh, we must be thankful to the Lord. We must count our blessings. We must express our gratitude to Him, even in moments of great difficulty. Three, in Christ we must learn to see that that there are blessings from God even in the midst of the trials we face. Indeed, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. That is that famous passage from Romans 8.28. And so, yes, I will not debate you. Your life might be filled with many difficult things right now. But God is good always. And we must be thankful to Him for the blessings that are present in our lives. And as His children, we know that even these trials and tribulations that we are facing, uh, there is goodness in them, though we might not be able to see them with our natural eyes at the moment. When we approach God as Father, we are reminded of the unconditional love that He has for us in the covenant of grace. We are reminded that He, by His grace, has set His love upon us. He has forgiven us all our sins in Christ Jesus. He has given us Christ's righteousness so that we might be reconciled to Him and adopted as His children. All of this has been received by faith in Christ alone. And God has promised to keep us in Christ, to bring us safely home into our heavenly inheritance, which Christ has earned. We cannot forget these precious promises from God the Father. These Promises that are ours in the covenant of grace. Brothers and sisters, this is the real reason why we should be at peace. Above all, we should be at peace because we have been made to be at peace with God the Father through Christ Jesus, the mediator of the covenant of grace, you see. So that even as we pass from this world, even as we suffer the pains of death, we know that the sting of death has been removed by Christ so that we are at peace with God now, and we will be at peace with God for all eternity. This is the real reason why we, as His people, should be at peace inwardly. Because we have been made to be at peace with God. You know, the world is filled with anxiety. 
It is a, it is a problem that, that plagues uh, our culture. And there is a part of me that wants to say, you know, there's good reason why the world is anxious. And there is a sense in which the world ought to be anxious because they are not at peace with God. The wrath of God remains upon them. They are suffering things in this life that are truly bigger than them. They anticipate the threat of death itself, and on the other side of death lies eternal condemnation. There is a sense in which the world should hear this message, you ought not to be at peace. In other words, be anxious. (laughs) That might be a way to preach the gospel to the world. Be anxious in your current state but find peace through faith in Christ Jesus. But here I am preaching to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, and I am saying you ought to be at peace. The Lord has called us to this. You need to fight for peace. And really, your peace is rooted in this fact you have made to be, you've been made to be at peace with God the Father. You have this marvelous hope of life everlasting. And indeed, we are to cling to these promises that are ours in Christ Jesus and in the covenant of grace. When we approach God our Father in heaven, we are also reminded of his power and his majesty. He is our Father in heaven. He is God Almighty, the creator of all things seen and unseen. He is our Redeemer. He is perfectly good. He is most wise. He is infinitely able, brothers and sisters, for he is the Almighty One. Indeed, God the Father is worthy of all of our trust. Where do we learn these truths about God, His character, and the grace that He has shown to us in Christ Jesus? Where do we learn these truths? We learn these truths from the book of Scripture, of course. But I want you to notice that in Matthew 6, Jesus encourages the anxious soul to look also at the book of nature, to be reminded of God's goodness, His power, and His covenant faithfulness. In verse 26, Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And in verse 28, he says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. And then Jesus makes his point in verse 30, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So there he does identify a lack of faith as being a core issue in the anxiety that we experience. But though it is true, these truths are brought to us through the pages of Holy Scripture most clearly. Notice how Christ urges His disciples to look also at the book of nature. Not only the book of Scripture, but the book of nature. Look at the birds the Father in, our Father in heaven provides for them. Look at the lilies of the field, how our Father in heaven clothes them, and are you of not of greater value than they. Trust the Lord, for He is our Father in heaven. He is good, and He has given us good and precious and very great promises in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So those who are anxious must remember these things, the goodness of God, His promises to us in the covenant of grace, and His power to accomplish all of His purposes. Thirdly, those who are anxious must also take practical steps to alleviate their anxiety, if possible. Those who are anxious must take practical steps to alleviate their anxiety, if possible. And I do not wish to spend too much time on this third point, but I do believe it is important to state. When I say that faithful prayer 
is the remedy for anxiousness. And when I encourage you to remember God and His goodness, I do not mean to suggest that there is nothing more to do. No, the one who is anxious may also need to take practical steps to alleviate their anxiety. So are you anxious about money, friends? I might ask you that question. Are you anxious about money? Then having prayed and having cast your anxieties on the Lord, having remembered His goodness, His covenant love and power, then ask yourself the question, is there anything for me to do to fix this problem that is causing me angst? Perhaps you need to make a budget and spend less. Perhaps you need to pick up an extra shift at work. Perhaps you need to speak to, to seek a promotion or search for a new job, etc. I am not saying this to you. Pray only. No, I am saying pray, cast your anxieties upon the Lord, and then rise up and take action. Take practical steps to alleviate your anxiety if possible. And I could pile up so many examples on top of this one about money that I have laid before you. Perhaps you're feeling overwhelmed with life. You're too busy. Perhaps you need to slow down. Perhaps you need to back off the throttle a bit to find peace. To take practical steps does not mean that we are not operating by faith. It means that we're operating according to wisdom. The point is this. We are to trust in the Lord for all things. We are to depend upon Him for everything. But we must also be responsible This truth concerning our responsibility before God is also found in Matthew 6 in these words, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In other words, the one who is anxious is to trust the Lord in all things, and they are to concern themselves with living a life of obedience to God for the furtherance of His kingdom and the glory of His name. It does not mean that we are to be inactive. We are to be very much active in the midst of our anxiety. Having cast our cares upon the Lord, we are to get busy. Busy with what? Seeking God's kingdom, His rule and reign over our lives. Seeking the furtherance of His kingdom, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the building up of the church. We're to seek His righteousness, meaning we are to live a life that is right before God, a life of holiness. And of course, this will include many practical things, things that have to do with good and honest work, and many other things as well. I want you to notice this about the Lord's Prayer again as I continue to try to make connections with it uh, to show its impact upon this subject of anxiety. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray these three petitions, the first three, are we not praying that God by His grace would enable us to live for His glory? For the advancement of His kingdom and in obedience to Him, indeed we are. And it is no accident that these are the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer. They are mentioned first because they are to be our highest aim. Are we to live our lives being supremely concerned with daily bread? No. We're to live our lives being supremely concerned with the glory of God, with the furtherance of His kingdom, and with obedience to His revealed will. These are the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer because they're to be the first three concerns of our heart. And it's only after praying these things that we pray, give us this day our daily bread, the fourth petition. I think I called it the fifth earlier in the sermon today, uh, earlier in the sermon. These are the first three petitions because they're to be the leading concerns of our heart. We're to concern ourselves with the advancement of the kingdom of God and His righteousness, knowing that all these things... What things are these? Food to eat, water to drink, clothes clothes to wear will be added to us, you see. 
If we fix our attention upon living a life of righteousness before God and furthering His kingdom here as we live for His glory, these things, daily bread, will be added to us. So brothers and sisters, we are to take practical steps to order our lives according to the Word of God as we struggle even with a sense of anxiousness. We're to pray, we're to cast our desires upon the Lord, our cares upon Him. But this does not mean that we are to sit idle, we are to be responsible. If your soul is anxious, brothers and sisters, please pray and remember God's goodness. But also ask the question, is there anything for me to do here, practically speaking? Is there something that needs to change in my life? Is there some unhealthy, unwise, or even sinful thing that needs to be turned from? Is there something about my way of life that is hindering me from being at peace? Granted, sometimes the answer to these questions is no. Something is threatening you, perhaps, that is outside of your realm of responsibility, that is just purely beyond your control. You simply must trust the Lord in situations like this. But in my experience, the answer is often yes. There is something for me to do. Brothers and sisters, I have noticed this. When folks are struggling with anxiety, they tend to be debilitated by it. And they tend to be hindered from doing the very things that the Lord has called them to do. Namely, things like this. Being present in public worship on the Lord's Day. Um, fellowshipping with other believers. It's interesting how these anxious feelings can, can cause us to sleep, you see, to draw back, to grow inactive. Uh, and in fact, we need to take action. We need to pray. We need to trust the Lord. And we need to get on with being faithful to what God has called us to do. So are you living in sin, I ask you? If so, then it is not surprising that you are not at peace. The Lord chastises those He loves. The Spirit is grieved within us when we sin. So you are to turn from the sin and to Christ to be at peace. And I might ask you this also. Are the priorities of your life out of sorts? Are you chasing after money, for example? Are you living for the things of this world, thinking that they will bring you ultimate comfort and relief? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Or is your life cluttered and hectic, so as to produce within you a cluttered and hectic mind and heart? So far as it depends upon you, I say, seek to bring order to your life so that you are able to pray, reflect upon God and His goodness, and meditate upon the things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. You may see Philippians 4.8. I've just alluded to that text. Our age is an anxious age. There are many reasons for this, I'm sure, but I cannot help but think that one reason is this, We are distracted by many things. We are bombarded with many concerns. And it may be that the Lord is calling you to slow down, to simplify, to focus your attention on things of real importance. It may be that you need to unplug from the constant fear-mongering of the media. I'm sure there are many other practical things that could be done to alleviate anxiety, things that are within our sphere of responsibility. The most important is this, seek First, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, knowing that all of these things will be added to you. I have two more points to make. I'll make them rather quickly. Four, if you are anxious, be sure to think about your thinking. Notice, I did not say overthink about your thinking. Uh, Some are prone to do this, and it could be a real problem. No, I simply said, think about your thinking. 
ask yourself the question, are these thoughts that I am entertaining reasonable? Did you hear that word reasonable reoccurring earlier in the sermon that we are to show ourselves as being reasonable to the world? We're to make our reasonableness known to all men. Are these thoughts that I'm entertaining reasonable? Are they true? Are they beneficial? Jesus addresses this in Matthew 6. In verse 27, he says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? What is his point? He's saying, worrying about these things that are beyond your sphere of responsibility and outside of your control accomplishes nothing. It does damage only. No good comes from it. So stop thinking about tomorrow. Stop thinking about things you cannot control. Give these concerns to the Lord and get on with living in obedience to God today. No good comes from it. And so I am saying, think about your thinking, brothers and sisters. If you are consumed by worrisome thoughts about things that are beyond your control, you must recognize that and with God's help, put an end to it. Jesus also addresses this in verse 33, saying, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now this text is not saying don't plan for the future. Uh, Proverbs says it's wise for us to do so. But here Christ is saying, obey God today. Focus on the kingdom of God and His righteousness today. And these things that are beyond your control, give them to the Lord. It does you no good to be anxious about tomorrow. Some have developed the bad mental habit of living in the past or in the future. They spend a lot of time asking the question, what if? What if? What if this would have happened instead of that? What if I chose that path instead of this one? What if this happens again? Or what if this leads to that? What if the trouble that came upon them comes upon me, etc., etc., etc.? What if a lot of people have developed this bad mental habit of dwelling upon that question? You know, a few years ago, one of our sons uh, fell ill. Some of you might remember this. David um, fell ill a number of years ago. Um, he developed a high fever. He developed pneumonia. Uh, we actually spent quite a bit of time in the hospital. He was having these um, high fever hallucinations. I, I hope this isn't embarrassing to you, David. It, it's just the truth. And We were up camping trying to enjoy a family vacation, and our family vacations oftentimes don't go really well. I don't know what it is with us, but <laughs> uh, just strange things happen. He had this tremendously high fever, and he was having these laughing episodes, these hallucinations, and we're up in the middle of nowhere going, what are we doing? What's going on, you know? And so we begin our trek home. We stop at a remote hospital. They say, yeah, we can't really help. Just keep going. So we kept going. But we ended up spending many days in the hospital. And the doctors couldn't get the fever to break. The pneumonia was persistent. They were running all sorts of tests. And it was just this big mystery as to what was going on. And I remember spending time in the hospital room with him. And as the days kind of pass by, you, you, you know, your mind, it can start to go places that it just doesn't need to go, you know. I was very tempted to begin to um, think the worst, to assume that the worst thing was, was going to happen. And I remember having to really discipline myself mentally to not allow myself to think about tomorrow, but to focus on today. What has the Lord called me to do today? 
Am I being responsible today? Am I casting my concerns upon the Lord today? And a great deal of peace came uh, from that. Just to be disciplined mentally, to think about my thinking. I had to help my wife do the same thing in that time, you know. Uh, Don't go there mentally. It does no good. It's not reasonable. Only bad comes from it. Let us trust the Lord today and be responsible today. And I thought I would bring that to you as a, a kind of illustration for... Uh, this very idea here. We have to discipline our thoughts, brothers and sisters. We have to think about our thinking. Perhaps you need to fight this kind of battle in your own mind. Some will err by living in the past. Some will err by living in the future or both. Others may have a bad habit of catastrophizing, that is to say, assuming the worst will happen. And brothers and sisters, though it is true that we cannot always control the thoughts that come into our minds... We do choose which thoughts to entertain. And may the Lord help us to think about things that are true, reasonable, beneficial. Fifthly and lastly, those who are anxious ought to look for idols in their heart. And if they find any, they must cast them down. For anxiety thrives wherever idols are present. As I have said, it is reasonable and natural for people to be concerned for their own well-being and the well-being of those they love. I I do not think this is sinful anxiety, but natural. This was the kind of anxiety that Christ experienced in Gethsemane. But think with me, if if someone loves this world and the things of this world in an ultimate and idolatrous way, then the anxiety that is felt concerning the potential loss of that thing, whatever or whomever it may be, will not be easily overcome. It will be debilitating. Are you following with me? Is it right for you to love, let's say, your spouse or your children and to be concerned for them if they are ill? Yes, that is reasonable. Is it right for you to be concerned with things like money? Yes, that is right. We ought to be concerned. But if these things have become idols to you, if they have become ultimate things to you, then when these things are threatened, it will it will shake you to the very core of your being, for you have set your heart on these things. Are you following me? I'm not saying that idolatry is always the cause of anxiety, but I am just urging you to take, take a look. Take a look and see if there are not idols present there that the anxiety is, is really thriving on. I, I heard someone say to me the other day, in fact, I think it was in an interview I did on this subject, um, some folks struggle with social anxiety. Uh, Being in a group of people can be very difficult for them. And he he brought this up as a possible explanation for it. Uh, Not always the explanation for it, but a possible explanation for it. Perhaps that individual is overly concerned with how they appear to others. So their, their appearance has become a kind of God to them. I do not want people to look at me and to think ill of me. I'm I'm concerned about how I appear to others. Therefore, I don't want to be in group settings where others might look badly upon me, you see. An interesting thing to think about. I put it forward to you as an an illustration here, as a possible application uh, to all of this. So we need to look for idols. And if we find them, we need to cast them down. I want to show you something in Matthew 6 before we move to a conclusion Notice the text that immediately precedes the passage about anxiety, the one right before it. Before Jesus says in verse 25, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. 
He says in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so I ask you, where is your treasure, friends? Where is your heart? Where is your life? Is it stored up in heaven or is it here on this earth? And if it is here on this earth and not in heaven, you will be very anxious concerning the threat of the loss of those things. Look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now the meaning of this verse is a little more enigmatic. But the basic question I have for you is this. What have you set your eye upon? What do you look for for satisfaction ultimately? What do you see as being of supreme worth? Where is your hope found? Is it the glory of God in heaven? Or is it something here on this earth? If your eye is fixed on the creature, even something good, if your eye is fixed on the creature and not on the Creator, your heart is going to be very anxious, for you have made an idol of the thing, you see? And everything in this earth is temporary. Everything is temporary. And if you have fixed your eye on the creature instead of the Creator, your soul is going to be anxious always. For you have made a God of that thing, and it cannot function as your God, because it is a temporary thing. Your eye has to be fixed on God in heaven. Your treasure needs to be in heaven And if that is true, then nothing on this earth can shake you to the core, you see. No one can take God or heaven away from you, for they are yours in Christ Jesus. You are at peace with Him. You have the hope of life everlasting. May you be grieved from time to time. Yes, Christians grieve. Will you be concerned from time to time? Yes, of course, you will be concerned. But it will not be debilitating anxiety for you. For Jesus Christ and God the Father are your rock, they are your life, they are your source of everything. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, Christ says. So, who do you serve? Is God your master? Do you live for Him, or do you live for the treasures and pleasures of this world? Christ's words... In verse 25, concerning anxiety, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Flow straight out of what is said before. And the point is this, if our treasure is here on earth, if our hearts are set upon the things of this life, if we are living for the things of this world, then it is no wonder that we are overwhelmed with angst at the thought of losing these things, for they have become our very life and as gods to us. not claiming that all anxiety stems from idolatry, But I am simply urging you to take a look, brothers and sisters. Examine your heart and ask, is there anything in this created world that would cause me to be utterly ruined or undone if it were taken from me? I think that is a good question to ask when hunting for idols of the heart. If you find one, I am urging you, brothers and sisters, cast it down off the throne of your heart so that God alone may sit there and see if this does not begin to bring you peace. 
If God alone is on the throne of your heart, if He is your highest treasure, your greatest good, and your ultimate hope, then there is nothing that can be taken away from you that will leave you ruined or undone, for God is eternal, unchanging, ever faithful, and true. Yes, we might find ourselves concerned about the things of this life. And yes, we will certainly grieve when we suffer loss in this life. And that is appropriate within its proper bounds. But never will we be undone if God and Christ are the hope and source of our life. Friends, Christ came to give us peace. Christ came to give us peace. Peace with God. And peace in our hearts forever and ever because of the victory that He has won. Through His suffering and obedience to the Father, we have peace with God. We also have peace concerning death and life everlasting through faith in Him. And so let us persist in the faith, brothers and sisters. Let us especially be faithful in prayer. Let's pray now. Our Father in heaven, I do pray that you would help us to fight for peace. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ as they experience anxiety, as we all do, that you would help them, O Lord. Help us all to run to you and to trust in you, O Lord. I pray for those who are experiencing overwhelming and debilitating anxiety even now, that you would give them victory, O Lord. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would move them to pray and then move them to rise up and to continue on in obedience to you lest they enter into temptation. O God, help us so that we might live for your glory here in this world. We confess to you that we are frail, but you are our life, and we give you thanks for all that is ours in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.